0: This is episode 25 of The Janet Luce Show. In the podcast, I'll be talking with people who have tapped into what they love and are living the life they imagined. Or maybe they didn't imagine it, but they've become super successful what they're doing. They've been able to figure out what gives them energy or makes them happy and turn it into a business. Or they've found a career that allows them to shine. We're going to talk about their life story, how they got to where they are, and what has influenced their journey. Today, we're talking with Hermie Abraham, a labour and employment lawyer and founder of Advocation Professional Corporation. Hermy started out her professional career in HR at some pretty impressive companies and then one day decided it was time to quit her full-time job and go to law school. Hermy has been a lawyer for over 15 years and for the last 7 years has owned and operated her own firm. She founded Advocation Professional Corporation with the goal to help employers and employees create workplaces that both are proud to belong to. She works collaboratively with her clients and believes it's important to understand your rights in the workplace. Advocation offers services to help people who have lost their job, have been sexually harassed, or if there is any workplace discrimination, bullying, or investigations, any type of situation that would require some strategic advice or legal counsel. Hermie has been featured in various legal and human resources publications, including Lawyers Weekly and HR Professional Magazine. She has also been regularly featured in the media to help break down employment law and provide expertise in workplace policies. You will find her on Global News, the Toronto Star and the Global Mail, just to name a few. Hermie is super passionate, extremely knowledgeable and very practical. She is always so generous with her time and is willing to share her knowledge and expertise in order to empower others. She operates from a place of helping people clearly understand what is happening, why it's happening, and how she can help. And if she can help you, she'll point you in the right direction. I can't wait for Hermie to share her story because one of the things I admire the most about Hermie is her willingness to leave a place of comfort, take a leap into something new, and be willing to work hard to figure it out and make it work. She is not afraid to move forward, and she is also not afraid of being honest, even if it's not a popular opinion or belief. Her logic, style of negotiation, and how she presents an argument are unmatched. There are many lessons learned after an engaging conversation with her. So Hermie, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for that introduction. It was really, really nice. (laughs) Very sweet. I haven't made anyone cry yet, but maybe one day. Yeah, it's going to happen soon. (laughs) Um, So I originally met Hermy so many years ago. It's actually kind of funny. Um, We both worked at the Bank of Montreal, and then we both ended up at this little e-learning startup company called Isopia, which later got acquired by Sun Microsystems. After we both moved on from Sun, we stayed in touch and actually ended up living in the same neighborhood. And we have spent many hours going for walks and catching up. Um, We both belong to a goal cultivator group, which I think Hermie invited me to join. And then later, I ran a mastermind for people starting their own business, and Hermie was involved in that as well. So we have a long history, and we've probably talked about everything under the sun. Everything under
1: the (laughs) sun, for sure.
0: Yeah, that's right. And you know, one of the things that I love about our friendship is that, you know, we are able to freely talk about both personal and business challenges. And over the years, we've encouraged and pushed each other to new levels, and we've also celebrated a few big wins too. Yeah.
1: And you've secretly been my shrink without knowing
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell anyone. <laughs> now that now the cats out of the bag. Um so I'm looking forward to this conversation with Hermie because I think she has an amazing story to share. And pretty much every conversation we have is super dynamic and interesting. So I can't wait to see where this goes. You know, I'm really gonna have to pay attention to the time. So we stick to an hour. So this might be my biggest challenge during this. Um, so Hermie, perhaps we can start off with a little bit of your story. Like where did you grow up? What was it like? What were you passionate about as a young girl? And then we can move into how you started owning and operating your own business. Ooh. So
1: I will say that my story is probably very typical of a lot of people in Toronto. I come from an immigrant family and I don't even know if I would say I'm first generation, but I was born in Ghana, West Africa. My parents came to North America in the 60s slash 70s when they were doing education, when they're furthering their education, and um, after finishing their education, they uh, first were in Ghana, where I was born, moved back to North America, and um, we've lived in both the U.S. and Canada, with Canada being the longest uh, stint. And so my parents are based out of Nova Scotia, I came to Toronto in search of exciting professional opportunities um which definitely has uh panned out and um yeah and then sort of meandered my way into law after being in human resources
0: so um okay i want to go back to like you're living in nova scotia
1: Hmm.
0: uh as a young girl how did you like what was your life like there what did you enjoy what did you do in your free time what were you passionate about Hmm. You know,
1: I really like Nova Scotia because it's easy, right? And so I a lot of my friends uh, and my friendships um, from junior high and high school are still intact. Actually, even from before that. Um, so the I would say that Nova Scotia has a very comfort uh, comforting feeling. So I think that it was a good base uh, to grow. I wasn't somebody who was into like lots of sports or anything like that. I mean. Never uh, in anything serious, Um, but I think that, you know, my formative years were good in sort of allowing me to feel like have a good base, I guess, is is, uh, for lack of a better word.
0: So what did you like doing? Like, were you into music, reading? Like, was there anything that you kind of gravitated towards? (laughs)
1: Yeah, you know, I was one of those nerdy students that was um, in student council, so I was really into student politics. However, I was also very mischievous, and so I was also the person who was, you know, um, trying to get into the liquor store <laughs> underage as well, too, um, and sneaking into the student council room. So it was a little bit of, of both, but... Um, but no, I mean, I, I I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't into sports or anything, student politics. I did play uh, the flute, so I was in music, but I don't think I did, like, the way you were in bo- volleyball. Like, I, w- I didn't have something that kind of carried through. I'd say that if there's anything that sort of kind of carried through, it's been... Being like a student politician, I was mm. like, you know, do, I did that in high school. I did in university. I've always liked that kind of advocacy role. And so it's not surprising that I sort of picked this profession at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, that's what I was just thinking, actually. Um, so how did you end up choosing to leave Halifax?
1: Well, it's interesting. So after I finished um, uh my undergrad i was sort of i actually got into law school and i was thinking about just going straight into law and i got into a law school in the states into howard university which is one of the only let's i think it's one of the only black universities or but a premier black university in the states and i thought i was going to be a black civil rights lawyer naacp And I saw the tuition all in U.S. dollars. And I was just like, yeah, that's not going to happen right away after university. So I was like, let me work for a little bit um, and then, you know, sort of go back to to school. Um, And in Nova Scotia, the jobs are not like... I mean, of the jobs are simple. I was working at Tim Hortons throughout university. That was Those are the types of jobs you would get, like really good, what were considered good customer service jobs. And so I was working at Tim Hortons one day. This is like in my last year of university. In comes a guy who's complaining about the size of the muffins. <laughs> you know, the muffins are getting smaller and smaller. And I thought, you know, I can just like be negative with this person or I can have a conversation with him like he's obviously having a bad day so I was saying I apologize I explain the fact that you know we I we understand his concerns that you know we'll I'll I'll escalate it blah 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 he was impressed with the way I handled it turns out that he was part of the management training program of Bank of Montreal
0: no way <laughs> yeah I do so, not know this
1: yeah so anyway he he uh, was just like, hey, I'm with this management training program. I would really like you to, you know, consider it after university. And I was like, okay. I just thought he was like, you know, full of whatever. I didn't think it was true. <laughs> then he came in and a couple Saturdays later gave me his card. And so I started working at Bank of Montreal in the management training program, first in the branch. And then there was an opportunity to uh, go to Toronto. And at that time I was in Truro, Nova Scotia. I had made no... Um, secret about my desire to move to the big city, like a big city like Toronto. I come to Toronto once to see a concert, a U two concert that was just like phenomenal for me, right? So I was like, I want to move to Toronto. So I moved from the little TO, which was Truro, to the big TO, um, and Bank of Montreal transferred me through this uh, program. So yeah, that's how I came to <laughs> to Toronto and was working at BMO uh, before before we met, actually. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm.
0: that's, I did not know that yeah. about you. That's so yeah. funny. But it doesn't surprise me that you got a job offer while you are working at Tim Hortons. Yeah. Like.
1: <laughs> about muffins, besides <the> <laughs> of muffins.
0: <laughs> hey, talking about muffins might get you yeah, anywhere. <laughs>
1: but you know what? It was a good lesson because I realized at that time that you never know who you're talking to and every opportunity is an opportunity to advance yourself right or, or to come show up as the best version of yourself. So if i was like, you know, you yeah, screw you, you know, whatever or just like flinging the muffins or was really na- na- nasty with him that opportunity would have never happened and I might never have made it to Toronto or had the experience through that management training program. So it it was a good reminder to me about how every moment is a possibility for a change and you just have to, whether it's positive or negative, you sort of embrace it and you can use it that's way forward,
0: yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great point too. Yeah. And something that, you know, maybe nowadays more people need to think back to. Yeah. Like you never know who you're talking to. It's true. You never know where opportunities are gonna come from or where you're gonna lose an opportunity because of your behavior. Right. It's Which true. I'm sure you see all the time in employment law. It's true. But okay, so then um you're at the Bank of Montreal, uh, you end up leaving there to go to ISOPia. What mm-hmm. was the draw there? Well I,
1: I will say, and this is something that I am passionate about also in employment law, I'm not the kind of person who's really good at advocating for myself. And so I find that when I'm in large organizations, it's really easy to, to get lost, right? And so I was doing well in BMO. I was like, you know, put on the high performance list and stuff. I was, I was a good employee, but I wasn't really good at sort of advancing my career, and I didn't know how that that path went. And so there was an opportunity with this um, organization, Isopia, to be the director of HR, and I was like a director of HR. Like, you know, <laughs> I was like still young, and the whole idea of being able to like build something from scratch was just hugely exciting for me. And that was during the dot com era when it was like you know just creating new companies and. So I was excited about that. I was drawn to this whole, you know, dot com being able to like. I think I was employee number twenty something, and we ended up growing to like two hundred and something. Yeah, we yeah. went
0: from 20, 25 to two hundred and fifty in yeah, one year. Or yeah, it yeah, yeah. And I got
1: to be part of all that hiring because I was in the HR department. So I hired my team. We were like, you know, got the processes in place. You hired
0: me. Yeah, I know.
1: <laughs> Best hiring decision ever. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so it was, that was the, the draw, it was just so different from the bank because the bank is, it's, it's established, you know, everything is there. Um, it was a great, and I think you would agree, it was a great training ground because you just get so much like exposure opportunities, training. Um, but I just didn't see a, a clear path forward where I could really make a contribution and feel as if I was advancing. Um, but I like the, the idea of a smaller and flatter organization.
0: Yeah. Like I think, um, like for me, even with all the consulting i've done i kind of describe like large corporations as like dinosaurs in the sense that it takes forever to move something forward yeah but the benefit of being at an organization like that is all of their processes are in place they've been vetted um there are so many opportunities for learning that you would not get in a smaller startup environment but i'm the same like i love the startup environment yeah no for sure it's fast-paced like, even though you get hired for one job, you might be doing 10 other things. Exactly. And, and I don't mind that. I exactly.
1: Like it. And it depends. I think that people have to know what they're good at. But though I would describe large organizations like a cruise ship, right? <laughs> so you have everything you want you have all the buffets, the bars, the different entertainment. You know, you're not going to get wet unless it's raining outside. And smaller organizations or even being self-employed is like having like a, a smaller boat, like maybe like a dinghy or something. <laughs> you might take water in, you know, you're going to have to figure out the path that you're going and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, different strokes for different folks. And I think it's important for people to understand what what resonates for them, what works best for their based on their personality.
0: Yeah, and so then what, like, what is it that made you decide to go to law school after? Because how many years did you defer that?
1: Oof, long time. I I, I really should do the calculation. Um, But, like, at least I would say not 20 years, but at least 15 years or more, right? Like a lot of time in between from graduating university to being in my early 30s when I went back to law school, mid 30s, actually. So I think that I never lost the desire for law. Um, But it's funny, it was Sun um, Microsystems, which actually acquired Isopia, that was a catalyst for it. And I think that it was also without me realizing the catalyst into going into employment law, I don't know if you remember, but we started going through like rounds of layoffs, right? Um, Both when our company was acquired, but also when Sun as the organization, because it was also changing in the whole era of like, you know, Silicon Valley, you know, um, cloud computing, everything, right? And so, you would get these like really sad emails from people like this is my last day and it's been wonderful. This is back in the day when like losing your job was still a really big deal and not very common. And I think that those like something about those those email messages that people used to send where they they would like, like almost do this like this sad song, a swan song, really kind of sat with me about the importance of like your work and your life, right? Like the, the limited time we have here in the world. And uh, yeah, so I think that afterwards I started thinking about like, where, where do I see myself? Do I see myself as like a uh, part of a company always, or do I want to like have something that's my own? And I think that part of the reason I wanted to go back to law, one, I, I was interested in it, it was something I, I kind of held on to. But I was always like, I work for X. You know, I'm an employee of Bank of Montreal. I'm an employee of ISOpia I'm an employee of Sun. I just wanted to be like Hermie Abraham with my own thing, right? Like, I didn't want to be the employee of something. And so I like the idea of a profession, whether you're a coach, you're an accountant, you're a lawyer, it doesn't matter who you work for. You're just that. And so I was drawn to that, mm-hmm. and that's why I kind of revisited it, like, where I could carve my way in the world without just an identity around an organization um because those emails I don't know do you remember those emails oh my god obviously like I was triggered by them (laughs) but yeah like these people their their world and their identity was like subsumed by working with this organization and when it was gone it was I mean I'm sure they went on to to wonderful things but at the time it was just so impactful for them and I thought you know what do I see in my future?
0: Yeah, but you know, I I would have to say like working for Istopia was a very special experience. Yeah. Right. Like it was so, um, in some ways like so much ahead of its time. Yeah. Like remember it had um, it, this was like early two thousand, and as an employee you could choose your holiday calendar. Yeah. Do you remember that? We
1: did that, yeah. And, like, that's
0: in 2000. I know. There aren't even companies today that do that.
1: We celebrated the Chinese New Year as well, too. I remember one time we had, like, this whole Chinese New Year celebration. We organized. We had, like, you know, games that you could do with, like, picking up chopsticks and putting things. Like, we just had this whole... Because we had a lot of... Um, employees who had come from China, right? A tech talent. And uh, so it was just really great. It was this wonderful cultural melting pot. Um, Yeah, it was just, it was very different. Yeah, it was
0: so, so unique. And even like the fast growth, the opportunities that came from it. There's a lot to be said, I think young in your career working at something like that like how much you can learn right absolutely
1: and again I think that's because that resonates to like who we are and what we're looking for other people might have found that environment very stressful right because it was constantly changing you didn't really have a set job description you're doing a little bit of everything um and it was go 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 um but uh you know yeah, it was it was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, I loved it. So, um, okay, so you end up going back to law school um, as an older student as compared a, to, yeah. like, a lot of the other students, right? What do you think one of your biggest challenges was? Um, hmm. Or do you think it was easier going back as an older student because you really knew what you wanted?
1: I think I appreciated the experience more because when i was i'll i'll say that the way i've always approached school was like a necessary evil right so it's like okay i'm going to university as an undergrad but only because i i think i'm supposed to do this not because i've actually choosing to do this right my your, my parents have told me that after you graduate high school, you need to go on to university. So I pick whatever, and then, you know, I go go on. When I went back as an adult, it was a choice, right? And there was also sacrifice in it as well, too. So I think that I appreciated it in a different way. And I think that I learned differently as well, too, because I was actually interested. I wasn't actually just like sort of, um, yeah, like, you know, just kind of buying time or biding my time to graduate. So there was that. Being an older student amongst the younger people, I think was good as well, too, because I think that sometimes we can get caught in our generational gap, right, with all of our friends, and you get to see things from a different perspective. So, you know, I was a good, you know, 10, 15 years older than a lot of the people there. Um, But it was nice. You know, I remember, like, during Frosh Week, like, with um, our like we all had these like groups and we had to do something like s- some kind of performance and i taught people how to do the thriller dance right and, i mean <laughs> they had no clue that i actually was like there when thriller was coming up but it was like the coolest thing so i think that that yeah like it was it was different but um, not different in a negative way i think it was a it, it was nice just being exposed to different people like g- generationally people i wouldn't necessarily be in the same cohort with
0: Sure. And so then you are, um, obviously you graduate from law school yes. and you are articling, mm-hmm. uh, Bay street firm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was that experience like?
1: I loved it. I think it's similar to again, the cruise ship, right? But maybe not like more of a, a boutique cruise ship, not like the big ones. Um, because you, you get a little bit of everything. You get to see everything. Law is a really tough profession, though. It's like lots of hours. You're not dealing with people at their happiest. Most times people are not happy when they're hiring you as a lawyer. And so it, it is a, a powder keg of, like um, I think, pressure sometimes. Um, and that's why I think it was nice to have that larger firm. Um, because there was lots of supports there. The people I got to work with at the firms, a lot of them are still like really close friends as well too. So it was positive and I got to see everything and then narrowed down to, you know, what I thought I wanted to do. I didn't think I wanted to do employment law. I actually thought I was going to do like something that was more, um, you know, business like, or financial services or something like that, you know? Um, uh, and then I ended up kind of falling in love with, the litigation and employment law based on one of the lawyers who I was I was sort of working with um, during my article
0: And then how did you decide, like you're at a Bay Street firm? Um I'm sure there were some great things about it, some challenges, like any job yes. situation, mm-hmm. right? Um how is it that you decided to leave that? Because you had offers to yes. stay mm-hmm. but you made a choice. Like, no, I think I want to do something else. Like yeah. How
1: did that come about? I think I, th- that has to do with the age thing as well, too. Like, it, you, you know that, um, like, the reason I went into law school was not to just sort of join something else. It was to have something of my own. And at the time, I was also, I also started dating somebody who was also a, you know, a, a professional um, and had his own uh, practice, dental practice, but practice nonetheless. And so I knew that I wanted to ultimately work on my own. I made the decision then because I felt that that would be the easiest decision to make. I felt that once I kind of was in the castle's framework, it would be harder to step away because you know the the structure would be there. It would it would just be not easier in terms of a job, but just easier to stay where I was versus making a big change. And so. I had to change anyway. You're transitioning from being an articling student and like trying to become a lawyer to becoming a licensed lawyer. The economy was terrible at the time. I actually was hoping to start at a small firm so I could actually learn the ropes and see what was going on, but nobody was hiring. And I thought, you know, I can either kind of wait and stay in castles, which would was not honest, I didn't think, right, in terms of where I wanted to be. I knew I wasn't going to build a career within the, that law firm. Um, so I knew I could have stayed there and worked and, and taken my opportunity, which there's nothing wrong with that. I just knew it wouldn't work for me or I could, you know, do what I would have to do anyway, which is at a small firm, figure things out, get your own clients, hustle. And so that's why I decided to go out on my own. So what do you think, um, if you can remember back that far, uh,
0: what do you think has been like your biggest challenge?
1: I would say, and it's a it's a challenge I still continue to today. I don't think I've learned this yet, but I think that um, the practice of law is very different from the running a business, right? Yeah. And I think that it's really understanding that um, helping people as a lawyer um, doesn't have to be at odds with running a business, right? And so I think that I've always kind of felt that, you know... Um, law was a bit of like a right that people had if they're in trouble they should get somebody to help them and so what ends up happening is that you want to help everybody and you can't do that as a business owner you have to you know you have to be very clear about who you're going to serve you have to be clear about how much you're going to charge for those services to make sure that you can stay afloat so i think that that was the biggest thing like really just wanting to provide services, but not understanding the business side and understanding that both of them needed to work for, for, to be a good lawyer and help, help people. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. I just uh, interviewed Laura Beauparlant and Mm -hmm. she started a wedding invitation business. Mm -hmm. She's a graphic designer. And she actually raised the same point that you did where it's like being a graphic designer and then owning and operating and running your own business are two complete different things. Completely
1: different, yeah, because you're a tactician. It's like what they talk about in the e-myth, right, which stands for the entrepreneurial myth, and it's true. Like, you think you're an entrepreneur, but really you're just – working a job for yourself right and so I think that that's the biggest thing figuring out okay and there's nothing wrong with that as well too but you really do have to always think in terms of a business person even if you're going to be a solo lawyer and you don't want to have all of the bells and whistles of like building a company because being a business allows you to practice the law it's not the law doesn't come before the business the business actually comes before the law which is you know, sometimes counter to intuitive.
0: Yeah, no. Mm -hmm. So what is it that you love the most about running your own business? Oh,
1: I would say that my the, the thing I love most about running my own business is that there's never a dull moment in terms of challenges and figuring things out, right. And there's always something whether it's like, figuring out what technology to use to do things better or finding different ways to deliver services. I mean, law is an evolving industry, a very highly, like it's going to change. We work very slowly, but the fact is change is coming everywhere. And so you kind of think, okay, what is that new model? How are people going to engage with legal services and how can I be relevant in another 10 years and so that's always interesting and as far as like the practice of law what I love most about uh, it is the um, client situation and getting them from where they are to something better like that always brings me joy that the the process might be ar- arduous and difficult <laughs> for both them and for me in some cases right Um, Nobody, like I said, most people don't enjoy going to a lawyer if you've been harassed or you've been let go. But the outcome at the end, when they are in a better place, um, personally, professionally, financially, that brings me the most joy.
0: What do you think is the biggest mistake people make when it comes to, um, like, getting a job, Mm. gaining employment? Yeah,
1: you know, I think a lot of people... And I don't know if this is a generational thing, right? So I'd be curious to see how it plays out in the like the younger generation who've seen their parents lose their jobs and go through periods of layoffs and stuff. But I think that, at least when I think of my generation, Gen Xers and above, like, above people who've come uh, before me, it's that we are too trusting on the job or too reliant on thinking our employer is still like the employer that takes care of people, right? And so I think that we we were kind of at the tail end of that model where the employer was almost like part of the family, right? And you retired and you got a, a watch at the end. I think companies are a lot more focused on the bottom line efficiency. And I think that people have to see themselves in that ecosystem, which is very different than thinking of yourself as, you know, part of this family, right? And I know that workplaces try to create a family environment, but it's not a family, right? It's a business. <laughs> it is a business at the end of the day. And that's what that the metrics that the, the company focuses on are not the family metrics, like how happy are people to that is important, but only as much as it drives the business, right? Or customer service or the other, other things. So I think that that's the biggest issue that I see. People are either too trusting or they just don't question, you know, question what's happening, question and manage their career in a way that they're a, like um, an equal participant in that work workplace Um, so
0: if someone had to kind of like take control of managing their career what is one tip that you would kind of give them that they should think about
1: yeah so you know i always say like and it's it's weird i think of yourself as me incorporated right you are your own like uh, professional corporation um, so what does that mean in terms of like if you were a corporation trying to grow? It means continuing to invest in your, you know, your learning and development, right? So you, you're, you're, you have a very sharp saw and you become a, a strong asset. It is making yourself aware of your rights. And I don't say that because I'm an employment lawyer and I'm trying to get more business, but it just surprises me the number of people who end up in difficult situations. I could have been prevented if they had just taken time to really see themselves as or taken time to see themselves as a, a corporation that's like, okay, I have a contract. This contract's been drafted by a lawyer on the other side. I should probably get have a lawyer review it so I understand what's going on, right? And so it's, you know me incorporated like start to think of yourself as a, a, a corporate entity rather than like just an employee or something but a corporate entity working in an organization and advocate for yourself and make sure that you are the best version of yourself in that uh, that organization
0: yeah I love that point and I, I want to bring in um like one of the things that we've talked about in the past is like one of the services that you offer around reviewing someone's contract before they actually sign it. yeah, And I would say like someone our generation and older probably wouldn't even think to do that because we are under the belief that hr was there to help employees yeah
1: right? yeah yeah, an HR. yeah. <laughs> having been, been at hr i can tell you that you know i always say hr is not your ad- adversary but they're not your advocate either right and you know organizations spend a lot of money to get lawyers to draft contracts and you should ask yourself <laughs> why like what interests are they trying to protect and are my interests aligned or are they like uh, uh, opposed to that? Or is there a way that we can have our interests aligned, right? And so, um, yeah, like when you get a contract, you know, it surprises me. People just check to see that the salary is right, that their title is right. And then there's all of this other stuff that is so important that's going to, you know, change your life if your job, if you lose your job, Um, it'll change your family's life if you lose your job and they never think of it. And that's the the least expensive (laughs) legal service you will have to pay for versus like trying to negotiate a severance package when you don't have a job and there is no money coming in and now you have to try to find money for a lawyer. It doesn't make a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, so it's almost like um, in. Instead of being reactive, it's being proactive. Exactly. So it's like thinking about these things in advance and kind of like thinking forward. Yeah, for sure. But I guess it's kind of like when people, you know, when you get married, uh, you don't think you need a prenup.
1: It's true, and you might right. not need a prenup, and, and right? And you might
0: not, but it's not a bad idea to have one. <laughs> it's true, but I would say
1: this. If your partner presented you with a prenup, you wouldn't be like, oh, we love each other, I'm just going to saw here." Like, you would hopefully go and speak to somebody who has seen prenups before, probably a lot more than you have, and who can, you know, be able to talk you through the points. You might still agree to it, but at least you're going in with your eyes open versus, like, this blind kind of like, oh, I, I trust that they're going to have my interests at heart. And so I'm going to go through anyway. And, and you know, it's great. I always say the person you marry is not the person you divorce. And that's also true in employment. <laughs> well, the company you join is not going to be the company that you leave at the end.
0: It's true, though. It's 100% it true. true. Um, so with your practice, you've now been practicing. You've had your own company for over seven years. Yeah. Um, Over that seven-year time period, what do you think has been your biggest challenge? And then secondly, what has been something that's been like a big win for you where you're like oh my god I can't believe that happened Mm. and I know listen I know it's hard to think of the big wins because we're always thinking forward yeah but we have both have big wins we just don't focus enough time on them Hmm, so that's why I really want to ask you this question
1: wow let's talk talk about being put on the spot
0: (laughs) I mean challenges I think I've
1: already talked about I think that the business like figuring out the business side has been the challenge and I'd say that you know in between like articling at castles going on my own I also went and actually worked at a couple of small firms figured out some stuff and I was like okay you know what I have a, a better sense of this and I went back and practice uh, for myself so that's why the last uh, period seven years but I'll, I'll tell you that you know law is a, a changing industry and I think that you know when I think of just legal services you know, I think that there's a lot of changes that are required to it. And I, and I think that my challenge now is like, what does that look like kind of in in the next 10 years in terms of the way I practice? Um, but, uh, at wins, um, you know, it, that I have to say is very difficult, but I, you know, when I think about the fact that, you're when you're creating a business you're sort of starting from scratch um and that i have managed to create a business that has like you know not all the systems i want but a lot of systems good technology um that i'm better through the the you know positives and negatives that i'm better as a result of that i think that that is the biggest win like there is no lifeboat right like I am my own lifeboat um and you know the fact that I've been able to do it this long and uh yeah like I haven't had a situation where it's like you know you're yeah the the business blows up because I think that that's one of people's biggest fear and I think it's true regardless of what you do when you go out on your own you're just like am I going to be able to make it? Am I going to be able to survive? And I've seen a lot of people who've opened their firms and gone on to practice with other people in the, in, uh, the same period of time that I've continued. And so I think that it does take a lot of commitment and, you know, faith. And so I, I'm proud that I've put that faith in myself to be able to try to To keep going. (laughs)
0: Yeah, well, and it's also, like, patience, perseverance, hard work. You mentioned hustle earlier. Like, so many um, people lately, because of mental health issues, have been saying... Let's get rid of this word hustle. Yeah. You shouldn't have to hustle. Yeah. And you know what I tell them as a business owner? It's like if you're starting a business, you better be ready to hustle. Yeah. Like put on your running shoes. Yeah. Don't wear your good clothes to work because yeah. you're going to be doing everything. Exactly. And if you don't want to hustle, don't start a business. Exactly. And I actually,
1: I mean, I don't have children, but I kind of see it the same way. It's like somebody saying, I want to have children, but I don't really want to have like in the the early baby days have to wake up during the night. And I don't want to have to, you know, have these long hours where I'm tired or, you know, I don't get a chance time for myself. And but like that's going to happen. You have to kind of accept that as part of being a bus- in business. It doesn't have to be bad or negative, right? And there are ways that you can manage it. So maybe, like, for example, if we use the baby metaphor, maybe you have a night nurse who comes in and helps you with some things. Maybe you have somebody who does, like, meal prep for you so you can manage it, right? So I don't believe in hustling for the sake of hustling. I think that, um, you know, mm. it really should be... Um, directed work but the fact is there is work it's not going to be that you just have this wonderful business and it's not going to take any amount of like like more it's going to be more than a nine to five like it's it, yeah. just and, and it's going to take sweat and tears exactly you know I was
0: oh. on a call recently and um there's a young girl and she said she was starting her own business and she said uh well you know I feel like if I just want to sleep one day, I should just sleep. And listen, I get it. Yeah. I 100% get it. But you also have to think, like, you're running a business, you have clients. You may have to service your clients. So if you're on your own, you can't sleep whenever you want to. It's true. And I think that what what
1: people forget about um, business for self is that they assume that somehow you don't have a boss, right? But it's it's not true. You have multiple bosses with yes. all of your clients. And so I find that I probably work harder as a business for self person than I would have working at a firm. And you work hard at a firm, don't get me wrong. But the fact is, you're not only doing client service, you're also now working with the bookkeeper and accountant to be able to go through the reconciliations and look at the budget and figure that out. You're also like working on the marketing, you know? you're thinking about, okay, you know, what needs to be changed in the way that we deliver services and maybe some of the te- the, the templates or the, the forms that we use or, you know, like you're constantly in this iteration where oftentimes when you're uh, working as an employee, you don't have to deal with those other things. Right. And so, yeah, it, it's it's. Uh, you can decide that you want to sleep but you should also be prepared to understand that your business is going to be a, a very different type of business right um and you you'll have to make a a decision i mean it's the same thing with the, as a parent right you might decide that you're not going to feed your kids for the day but child services might come in and take them away (laughs) you might not have you know well-adjusted children if you're not making the same type of investment into them and I think that you know you give what you get right
0: yeah and I think if we're talking about investment like obviously you know to me like learning is super important yeah and uh, one of the things that I always share is how like I went through a period where I actually stopped learning and growing and that translated directly into my business mm-hmm. and it actually stagnated my business yeah and so if you ever get to a point where it's like oh I tried that oh I tried that oh I know that oh da 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 whatever like, things are always changing. Exactly. There's always something new exactly. to learn. And so what do you think in the last, like, two to three years is the biggest thing that you've learned or that you've worked on? I think
1: that's a lot of it is, like, the system systemat, systemizing, systematizing. Um, but like creating systems in the business, I think that that's one of the biggest things. Because I think that oftentimes with law, you kind of feel that by, you know, trying to make it, again, more businessy, um whether it's like, you know, coming out with a framework for the way things are delivered um, or, you know, packaging services in different way that it, it sort of takes away from that lawyer client relationship, that advocacy. Um, but no, I, I think that the, the biggest lesson I've learned is that you are probably better at that once you're able to put those things in, in place. So that's one thing. I think that also the value of coaching, right? Like I think that, it's so uh, my business took out, off um, in a different way and in a better way when I was in a coaching program, right? Mm-hmm. And I found that the energy from that coaching program, not only in learning new things and, and learning from other people, um, but also in just like, again, like testing, trying, being pushed by your coach to do different things, that actually helps me move forward. So I think that sometimes we kind of get this like, Kind of very pure view that oh no my business shouldn't be this way or or that or I have to have all the answers I should know this right as a business person I should know this and it's kind of making peace with the fact that you're not going to and um, the fact that there are going to be iterations and that you should seek help and um, yeah just basically be open to 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 change and looking at it in a different way
0: yeah because you participated in that one coaching program for a year or two years.
1: Yeah, it was at least two, three years. I'm actually looking at another coaching program as well, too. But it was great, right? Um, Unfortunately, a lot of them based out of the States, right? Um, And this was specific to legal coaching. But um, yeah, it was fantastic.
0: And I think, too, like you mentioned, the value of the actual coach. But there's also the value of the other participants who are kind of going through the same thing that you're going through. Mm -hmm. So you can share knowledge, share challenges, get other ideas, see what works with some people, what doesn't work work. So in some ways, like being a part of that program can actually help you probably move and implement faster too.
1: I think so. And I think that that goes back to the other, I think, life lesson that I've had that, you know, community is so important, right? I think that we oftentimes feel that we have to have all of the answers or that we need to figure it out on our own. And I think that the the path to the, the the quickest path is by you know a community whether it's a, your friends your family whether it's a formal program and I think that formal programs make sense when you are in a situation where you need the expertise of someone else but you know my mom always used to say like you know look at your fingers they're all different but they work together and I think that that's what community does right like it allows you to kind of have those different pieces so you can operate in a in a better way so yeah absolutely I think that the value of the coaching program the coaches were great the community was like heads and tails uh, above and beyond anything I would want I would ever expect
0: or want yeah and I would say like based on my own experience belonging to different groups and different communities one of the things that I think is important that you might be able to speak to is also making sure you're in the right community. Yes. And for the right community, like as a business owner, you want to make sure you're surrounded by people who are kind of at the same level as you. Yeah. Right. Or a so, level
1: higher. Or a level higher. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. That's right.
1: Yeah. And it's so true. Like one of the things I say to Lance, my partner, is that, you know, relationships are a reason, season, lifetime, right? Hopefully most people are a lifetime, but, you know, that's not true. Like sometimes you have, like something is a trigger that helps move you and propel you to the next level. But if you stay at that level, you're going to be stuck and you're not going to grow, right? And so I do think that it is important to find a community that can push you and also to understand that that community might also at some point extinguish its purpose and you're going to have to seek something else that like a greater expertise where that can be able to help you or, you know, other people who are going to push you in a different way.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Like, I think I've joined communities in the past where I'm like, oh, this is not the right community. Yeah. yeah. And and it's okay. that it's not the right community. Like yeah. you tried it. It's like, okay, it's time to move on, exactly. but it's knowing Exactly. And it's time to it's on, true. And I think right?
1: it's important. You have to find your tribe um, because I've, I've also gone through other coaching programs or I've gone through um, like um, seminars offered by different legal coaching places. And I kind of felt like, yeah, this community, I, it do, do, doesn't feel right. They're either way too uh, ahead of me and I'm just like, I can't see the path at all and it makes no sense and I'm kind of lost in the weeds. Or they're just like, you know, so basic that you're like, okay, you know what? I feel as if I'm not really, like, there's always something to learn and grow, but you're not growing at that same level.
0: Yeah, or the same, or rate or speed, right? exactly Um, So law in general is like a very competitive field. Mm -hmm. Like, I think I remember you telling me stories of when you're in law school and people would like tear out the pages of the book for homework so that nobody else could get it. yeah Um, But as you grow into your career and as you own own your own business – is law still that competitive or do you find working with other lawyers to be like collaborative? Like, what is that like?
1: Yeah, I think that it's changing. I think that like typically when people were thinking of lawyers, you always had to have this law, lawyer who is a pit bull and who is mean and, you know, was going to be like, what I call the zero sum game, I win and you lose, right? And I think that a lot more lawyers are sort of seeing that that's not necessarily the only model. Sometimes it's a model and maybe it's necessary, but in many aspects of law, it is a win. You can find win-wins or solutions where nobody loses at least, right? And so I do feel that there's a competitive angle to it, but I do feel that there is a desire for people to work in a way that isn't so like cutthroat and nasty, because I have to say that the profession has a side that can be very cutthroat and nasty. I'm lucky that in the employment law bar, um, the employment lawyers tend to be a lot more collaborative, right? Um, but I've heard of other areas that it's just so like mean and you know not friendly. And I'm hoping that that change is happening. Uh, I saw a post recently on LinkedIn from a lawyer who um, actually was at Castles around the same time I was. He articled the year after me. And he was talking about like, you know, how law could learn from that big snowstorm that we had where his street, everybody was pitching in. And he was just like, you know, I wish that we could find those ways in in law to be like, you know, just kinder and gentler with each other. And I think like, you know, there are a lot of us who are seeking that. Um, and I think that there are a lot of clients who are also seeking it as well, too. I think that the perception of lawyers are hopefully changing, that it's not these sharks all the time, but people who have your best interests at heart are going to advocate, but don't necessarily have to be like a jerk in, in doing that.
0: Yeah. And I think like it happens also, too, as a business owner. Yeah. Right. Like you see sometimes um, some business owners will complain if someone's operating in the same space as them. Yeah. Um, like same industry or whatever. But I honestly come from the place where, like, there's enough clients and customers for everybody. Exactly. And what I think is most important is just being really good at what you do. Exactly. For sure. For sure. And, I mean, also
1: that and understanding that if you're resolving conflict as well, too, that you're not, nothing serves you. And I don't think it's a human, like, it's a human trait to want to have, like, conflict and negativity, right? But we are not served by seeing other people falter or you not get to be their best versions of themselves right so whether it's family law you're going through a divorce you and your partner can divorce in a way that you you both end up better at the end they don't have to lose for you to win and vice versa right and I think that that's the issue in law with the fact that we are like trying to diffuse disputes that people feel that it has to be combative and it doesn't have to be you can still win without the other people losing. Right? No,
0: I love that. I love that. Mm-hmm. So I'm very aware of your time, um, but I do always end with one question that I love. And I did steal it from Tim Ferriss. Mm-hmm. Um, but say, for example, you had a massive billboard, mm-hmm. like one of the billboards at like Dundas square. Okay. And it could have any message on it that you would want it to have. Mm-hmm. What message would you want people to see?
1: Hmm. I think it's a message that I need myself, but I think it's one that also speaks to my practice. And it's really like live your best life, right? And the reason I would choose that is because I think so many of the people I see who've lost their jobs, like they they feel like maybe somehow broken or sort of set back by it. And I believe that life doesn't happen like to us but for us right and sometimes even in difficulty we're able to grow into something better right and so living your best life to me in companies like stepping into that void when things are kind of scary and uncomfortable but making a a a choice um and it is a choice a dedicated choice that yes i'm going to be the best version of myself and you know um whatever that takes maybe sometimes it takes a little bit of being a little selfish right and there's nothing wrong with that not all the time but in balance there's nothing wrong with being able to have some me me time or whatever but Live your best life, because when you're living your best life, you are actually shining a light for other people to do that, and I think that that's how the world becomes a better place. Right?
0: So. I love that. <laughs> I love that. And it's so true. It's mm-hmm. so true. Um, so if people want to get in touch with you, um, what is the best paid place for them to find you online?
1: So, uh, we're not as social media savvy as many people um, are. So uh, we are on LinkedIn, I think that that's a, a great way to find us and that we share Content there of other our blog posts or just um, employment law content. Um, so LinkedIn, Facebook, um, I'm on Twitter, um, at advocation PC. I think you can find a, a, the, the handles for both of those or at Hermie Abraham. And of course we have a website, uh, advocation.ca. Um, and yeah, that's probably the best place for people to see and learn more about what we do.
0: Great, I'll add that to the show notes. No, for me. And thank you so much for your time. I always love it when we get to have these conversations. Thank you, Janet. This has been a lot of fun. <laughs>